Welcome back to uh, episode three of Getting Hard. Uh, I'm joined again in the studio by DJ. How are you doing, DJ? Great, mate. Happy was... to be here. Happy to get back for episode three. I know. We've made it so far. That's um, it. Could it be the cake we got? It could have been the cake, yeah. Thank, thank you very much, Trent, for uh, making us a cake, a delicious... What was it? Caramel... Caramel cheesecake caramel of some cheesecake sort. Cake. It was delicious. If anyone wants Trent for parties and or exotic dancing, please reach out. Yep. Um, it was an, a very rich cake, super rich, like almost disgustingly rich, but amazing. I have lactose intolerance and I feel sick. <laughs> I do too, actually. So <laughs> things we, that's why it's we do this together, room. isn't it? It's yeah. a small room. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think we can just jump right into it. I mean, so, well, just quick cover. If you didn't listen last week, you should have, but, um, last week we just covered the Raven season. Um, and you gave a episode by episode play back, I suppose, of what the main themes were. We both agreed that this series was just kind of terribly edited. Um, it was a great idea. Like it was a great idea to be, like to actually think of trying to showcase the training camp experience. Yep. Um, I think it was done really unorganized. Yeah. And I think, um, I actually should have mentioned this last time, but, um, one of the things I found while researching was that they actually paid players during this season in, on Hard Knocks. Um, so I didn't think that happened. No, and I don't think it's happened since because HBO was super upset about it because they didn't know that the players got paid. So this only came out later. Yeah, it came out October 2nd. This article came out on the New York Times. So, you know, it, it, these series usually end first week of September. So it would have come out a m- month later. And... Um, yeah, the president of HBO Sports wasn't happy. It wasn't like, I'll, I'll read you what they got paid. It wasn't like a lot. So Shannon Sharp, Tony Siragusa, Ray Lewis, and Rod Woodson each got $8,000. And then the two rookies, Rod Heap, uh, Todd Heap, sorry, and uh, Reggie. Rod Heap. Yeah, Rod Heap. And uh, Reggie Waddell both got 2000 So uh, it wasn't like it was a lot. Um, that's a drop in the water for some of those guys. I mean, one of the things that we saw was Tony Siragusa apparently takes helicopters all the time helicopters to so, and from. he doesn't like travel or yeah he took helicopters like four times during the series so, so eight thousand dollars probably covered two of those trips but um yeah anyway i just thought that was interesting because i'm pretty sure that i'd be willing to bet because i haven't found anything else that this was the only year that they were paid i'm interesting to see why they paid those players and not some of the others like why didn't they pay uh kenny jackson yeah um you know you think that he's a bloke that would need money yeah yeah, I'm not really sure there, but I just I, I, I should have mentioned it last week, but uh, anyway, we'll mention it now. So with that, we will actually just jump right in. So if you don't remember, so we're going to start just talking about Todd Heap first. Uh, so I'll just give a little bit of background. Todd Heap, uh, obviously tight end. He played at Arizona State, similar to uh, Gronkowski. Um, he was signed that season. That was his rookie season, obviously, 2001. And he stayed at Baltimore until 2011, uh, after which he then joined uh, the Cardinals for two seasons back home, playing for presumably his uh, home, his uh, his favorite team from growing up in something, Little Mesa, Arizona, or something <laughs> something like that. Somewhere country. Um, so he finished his career. He played 145 games. Uh, of those, he started 131. Uh, he had 42 touchdowns and 500 5,869 receiving yards. Um, shortly after he announced his retirement, the Ravens announced that they'd be inducting him into the Ring of Honor, obviously, because, you know, 10, 10 seasons at tight end for a team is usually pretty good. Especially um, with his ongoing stats. Yeah. They're pretty, like, really quite prolific. They're quite good. Yeah, and, he, and the other thing with the stats, too, is he, he, was, he was really 
consistent, which, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, you look at uh, running backs and stuff like that. Sometimes they'll have, you know, a breakout year and then they drop off or, you know, they don't, they're up and down, up and down. Whereas he was kind of just nice and steady. He, was, he, he reminds me a lot of um, Jason Witten from the Cowboys. Yep. You know, very consistent. Obviously, Jason Witten's had a long, you know, a very prolific career as well. But you look at that and the consistency really matters to teams. Yep. Um, uh, he made uh, two Pro Bowl appearances, one in 2002, one in 2003. Um, that's kind of a bit on his career. Uh, personally, uh, in April 2017, him and his wife tragically lost their four-year-old daughter, Holly, when he was moving his car in the driveway. Oh, um, holy moly. Yeah, that's that's rough. That's really rough. I really feel for them. Imagine, like... Just losing a daughter and then, you know, basically the one that accidentally yeah. did it. That's terrible. It was totally accident. Um, I did come across a video of him speaking at, I think it was his old high school. Um, and I think it was October of last year about, you know, dealing with it and all that. And it was pretty touching. Um, he definitely is very broken up about it. That's for sure. Oh, well, definitely. That's why we probably haven't seen him very much in media. You haven't seen him much, obviously, with um, presenting or anything like that. Yeah. He's obviously gone through a lot of personal issues. Because that would just be soul-destroying. Yeah. A- after he left, he did do a bit of presenting. But you're, like you say, he, he, he didn't last season. And um, I'm not sure if he will this season or anything as well. But I don't know if he can get over that. No. You got anything to add on... Uh, Look, to be honest, Todd Heap, obviously being um, such a prolific tight end for so long, you have a look at his tenure at Baltimore. So, he, like I said in the last episode, he got brought in by Brian Billick. Now, Brian Billick had been a tight end coach at multiple different clubs. Yes. Um, and so, he got picked by Brian Billick at number 31 and got just happened to be able to be a journeyman under Shannon Sharp. So, he gets such a great opportunity. And was that something that you reckon actually would have, you know, um, made his career something special is because of obviously the early input that he had from both of those two blokes who obviously were quite knowledgeable around tight end. No, I I have no doubt about that. I mean, it's one of the things with the NFL that you can look at a team and see who maybe the head coach is or who some of the key coaches are. And those teams are always kind of strong in those positions. So, for instance... With my team, the Vikings, um, we are just consistently, ever since Zimmer became our head coach, a very defensively strong team because Mike Zimmer, his background is defense. Makes sense. you know, having Shannon Sharp and Billick there, who both, you know, Shannon Sharp's uh, one of the greatest tight ends of all time. Billick's coached tight ends his whole career. It's definitely one of those things where Todd couldn't have fallen to probably a better team. I mean, you know, you question whether he'd have such uh, such a good career had he gone elsewhere. It's one of those... Yeah, that's true. Um, You know, he got to be, he didn't have to go straight in and be the starter. Um, He got to come in in what, in 2001, he only had 206 yards and one touchdown. Um, And that's starting from 12 games. So you obviously show that they actually really eased him into that tight end role uh, at the end of 2001. um, Then Shannon Sharp actually left. And so then he became the starting tight end. Um, and they definitely played a tight end style kind of um, single tight end style kind of game. Yep. So uh, that's, that's probably all for Todd Heap, really, because like he's a pretty consistent player. He has his accolades on field. Um, he didn't really do anything off field that was you know that came to attention of the media. No, I, other than that one incident, um, there wasn't you know any DUIs or anything like that that I could find. Um, those are the most common ones. Um, been with the same same wife that we first were introduced to. Um, they're still married, so you know seems like a pretty stand up guy to be honest. And that's all pretty nice, isn't it? Yeah, it's always good to see someone who is so so popular and so successful actually be a decent person. Yeah. 
Um, not that it, not that anyone isn't, but I'm just saying that it's really nice to say. Yeah. So I think we'll uh, jump yeah. on to um, Tony Siragusa. Tony the Goose Siragusa. Yeah. Like, so look, I'll just go through a little bit of his history. So he was an undrafted free agent in 1990. He was signed by the Indianapolis Colts as a defensive tackle. Um, so he used to play nose tackle. So the idea of people who don't know anything about nose tackle, it's actually to double to draw the double teams um, in a 3-4 defense. So they're the big guy in the middle that has to basically pick two of the offensive linemen up. Being in this position myself, it basically just is a recipe for headaches. So basically he was a key part of the... 1995 team that was one of one Hal Murray pass away from reaching Super Bowl 30. Um, that was with the Indianapolis Colts. So that's probably one of the biggest things that um, he happened in his career prior yep. to the 2000 trade. So he got moved, traded to the Baltimore Ravens in 2000. So that was the year of the championship. Um, and he basically, he played pretty well that year. Um, he had pretty decent stats. Uh, and he obviously, as you guys all saw, he thought he basically took a lot of responsibility for that win. He was, he's a big, big name person. He's a, a, a big character, big personality. Um, it's pretty entertaining, not entertaining. So it's pretty interesting that in the actual AFC title game in 2000, he was fined $10,000 for an illegal hit on their QB, Rich Gannon. And you might not remember it, but it was actually quite a late, dirty hit. Um, and he actually, he basically bragged about it afterwards during the game and then got fined $10,000, which back in 2000, $10,000 is probably a fair bit of money. Yeah, it's probably, yeah. He nearly, made, he nearly made up for it, though, with his payments from Hard Knocks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, basically, uh, he retired in the, uh, at the end of the 2001 season, so the Hard Knocks season. He finished his career with 562 tackles, two, um, 22 sacks, five false fumbles, nine fumble recoveries for 12 yards, and 28 pass deflections in only 170 career games. So, look, he was actually a really good nose tackle. As much as he was, at times, difficult to stomach as a viewer, he was a really, really prolific um those tackle um, so basically he post career so he moved on to be a sideline reporter for Fox Network until 2015 where he was actually fired um, what I thought was an interesting fact was he actually played Frankie Cortese in the HBO series The Sopranos yeah I did not real. I've never watched The Sopranos to be completely honest but I didn't realize that he was in it yeah so look stereotypical Italian family and which is then obviously entertaining after this after that Sopranos stint he partnered up with a bloke called Michael Romanelli and open up a restaurant chain called Tiff's. Which is funny is because it used to be called Tiffany's and then they actually got sued by Tiffany & Co. Um, and so they just changed the TIFFs. Um, he basically moved on then to be a documentary program um, host for Mega Machines on the Discovery Channel um, and something I mentioned to you before which is rather entertaining. He's, he's also the spokesperson for an adult diaper in one of the national advertising campaigns in America. <laughs> <laughs> um, also going on to play a Russian mob star in the movie 25th Hour. Um, one, of the, one of the biggest things to bring up about the goose is that he also make he now runs his own podcast called the cave on itunes yep um now i've listened to a few of his episodes and he's actually quite good i, f- I find it pretty entertaining he I was quite ent- one episode yeah. quite entertaining um he's quite knowledgeable he has obviously has a large opinion about things yep um but if you want to give that a listen he's obviously a big personality and especially people that you know in my position as a d tackle and my size it's really entertaining to see his different spin on things yep but yeah so that's the goose basically in a, in a nutshell yep um, so look he was fun to watch and Obviously, his characters don't come around all the too often, so it would have been HBO would have been excited of being able to catch that kind of person. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Well, so we're going to move on to Shannon Sharp. I want restitution. 
<laughs> I want restitution. He just wants restitution, okay? Give him his restitution, Dan. Damn it. <laughs> um, I love Shannon Sharp, actually. So I actually just got a legend version of Shannon Sharp in Madden just oh, yesterday, yep. randomly, um, as I was doing research on Shannon Sharp. So I knew who he was, which is entertaining. Um, so he was actually a round seven draft pick for the Denver Broncos and went on to have an amazing career at the Denver Broncos. You know, notably, he had like the 1996 Denver Broncos. He he had a 1,000 receiving yards and 10 touchdowns again in 98 and like a 780-yard um, t- season with another 10 touchdowns. Moving on to the Baltimore Ravens in 2000, where he had pretty really solid season with 800 yards receiving and five touchdowns and obviously then the championship game he only played again for the 2001 Baltimore Ravens and then moved back to the Broncos to finish his career Yep. Um, which look he listened to these stats of his last season though for the Denver Broncos he still had 770 yards receiving and eight touchdowns that's not a bloke that's retiring that's that's a bloke who's still ready to go no and, and correct me if I'm wrong but uh, there was one episode where he said he wanted to go out a year Early, As not opposed a year, to a year late. late. Yep. So that definitely shows that he was very conscious of that. Which is sad because those stats are amazing. Yeah. Um. So look, there was a little bit of a dark side to some of Shannon Sharp's off-field issues. Yep. So basically, Shannon Sharp was charged with a misdemeanor. Um. Oh, so simple battery from removing an Erica Evans, who was the mother of one of his children, from his home in 2004. Um, so basically, Evans is one of the three women who have been in and out of the Fulton County Civil Court with Sharp since 1994. So there's been 10 court cases between them uh, against Sharp and about paternal, paternal and domestic matters. Yep. So what's basically said is that he's had... Um, so restraining orders against him from multiple different girlfriends. People have accused him of sexual assault and alleged forced to have sex um, with him as well in different instances. There was a restraining order uh, for Sharp because supposedly he actually threatened one of his girlfriend's lives and placed her under surveillance and would and had evidence that she would he would call her and say that he was actually watching her. So would you say that Shannon Sharp would have benefited from listening to his head coach? No means no, maybe means no, and yes means no in the morning. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Maybe you should have listened to some more of those uh to some more of those relationship tutors, possibly. Yep, relationship tutors. Yep. Um maybe that actually maybe they brought them in for him. It could have been. Could have been. You never yeah. know. But look, Shannon Sharp, obviously you have a look at his calling card and he has some amazing... No means no, maybe means no, <laughs> and yes means no in the morning. Sorry, I did that last episode too. It just beats itself. Oh, as it should, as yeah. it should. Um, but look, he's a 2011 Hall of Fame inductee. Um, he was a, a college inductee as well in 2009 for Hall of Fame. Um, and he's, look, he's got some amazing on-field accolades, as he should, because look, he was an amazing tight end and he's an amazing player. Um, I guess it just goes to show that, it, you know, on-field antics and off-field antics are completely separate and they need to be respected as well. But now, look, he's actually on a still on a talk show, um, Shannon Shots. Yeah, some, yeah something, something like that. Yep. Um, so you'll see him often on ESPN and stuff, and he actually has some pretty good gear um, on there too. So um, have a have a tune in and have a listen to him. Um, so he's rather interesting. So next on our list, we're going to move into going into their replacements for Jamal Lewis. Yeah, so you've already covered Jamal last episode. We're just going to go off the assumption that everyone that's listening now has already listened. And if you haven't, you should go back and listen to the last episode. But we won't go into it too much. But as you said, uh, he, had, he was his second year. He had an ACL injury, so he went down. 
it became a bit of a theme for two episodes of who's going to replace him. So what they did is they brought in uh, Terry Allen, who had just come from the Saints, uh, hadn't had a great year. He'd only played uh, four games, rushing for 179 yards. Um, I think at that point too, he was a bit older. Yeah, he's his ninth season. In yeah, the NFL. as so, a running back, that's like it's like dog years. And and old school running back too. They 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 ran a lot more. It wasn't as much running back by committee back then too. Lots of headaches. Yeah. So basically, he came in and they brought in um, this guy Jason Brookins, um, who the between the two of them they kind of split running back duties for the season so between the two of them allen had uh, 168 attempts and brookens had 151 and then there was um you know a couple other guys that had like 45 and 65 or whatever but he basically improved on the last season with the saints um i think he played 12 games this season uh 658 yards and three tds so that's obviously a big improvement from 179 with no tds <laughs> a little bit about terry allen we thought we would just kind of mention a pretty funny story not funny at all I should have it's, said it's that. not exactly funny so i'll just read the uh the first line this was uh july 11th 1997 uh terry allen a washington redskins running back was charged with driving under the influence and fleeing the police at 300, uh, 133 miles an hour before his Ferrari crashed into a tree on a highway east of Atlanta early Saturday morning. So he was charged with reckless driving, excessive <laughs> speeding, attempting to elude the police, striking a fixed object, and having no proof of insurance. What did he play to the police when they pulled him over? The, I believe the first thing he said was, I'm a professional ball player for the Washington Redskins. <laughs> Major Al Yarbrough of the Walton County Sheriff Department said, I guess he wanted them to know who he was. <laughs> turns out... Uh, Some old school uh, policing there, isn't it? Turns out these cops weren't in the mood for that. <laughs> not not after chasing him. Maybe if they had just pulled him over, they would have been a little bit more open to it. But uh, After wrapping, unwrapping his Ferrari around the tree, yeah. I think they had very much uh, patience with him. It also like. didn't say it in this, but I did notice elsewhere that it was, uh, George was known for his peaches. It was literally a peach tree he crashed into. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was good. <laughs> Lovely random fact there, Dan. Yep. Really enjoying Finding it. That's about it for Terry, but I just wanted to, Talk about Jason Brookins for a second. This was his only season in the league. 151 attempts. I don't actually have written down his um, yards, but it was a little bit less than 658. I think it was 500-ish. That's for, for a fullback, that's actually quite good. That's productive. Uh, that's what I thought too. It didn't put him anywhere near no, of course, top 10s or anything like that, but it's pretty productive. And I just find it interesting that, like I said, this was the only year he did. The year... In 2002, he was picked up to be uh, on the practice squad for the Packers. And then in 2003, he was picked up to be on the practice squad for the Montreal Alouettes up in the CFL. And then he went over and he played for the, what is it, the Rhine, the Rhine Fire in NFL Europe. And I couldn't find any stats about <laughs> what he did if he actually played. I saw a video of him in his uniform kind of saying, hey, come out to the game. Here's what you can expect from me. He called himself the bulldozer oh. because he runs over people. I don't it know. wasn't because he's a construction worker and he's off time. <laughs> could be, could be. But basically that's it. And then he just disappears. Like I, I couldn't find anything about it. Um, he was also born in Mexico, Missouri, which I found to be an interesting town. I've never heard of a Mexico, Missouri. But if you're ever in Missouri and you want to go to Mexico... 
I bet they have good Mexican there. I, do I imagine they actually still go by American law, though. So don't escape to Mexico, <laughs> Missouri, if you're going to escape for any reason. That's a fair point. That is a fair point. And uh, speaking of Missouri, could you have asked for a better segue? That's true, actually. I wonder what Missouri would have to do with a segue. Well, we, In could, just, we could just jump right into Dwayne. <gasps> You reckon he'd be big enough to jump into? Oh, he's a big boy. He is a big boy. Not, not what was his <laughs> He's name? not Kenny Jackson Kenny big. Kenny Jackson big, but yeah, he's a big boy. So basically, Dwayne Missouri uh, was defensive end, drafted in the seventh round from Northwestern. DJ kind of covered him a little bit in the recap, but throughout the series, he shows moments of being a good player. The coaches, they do struggle with talking about which defensive ends are going to make it. They do struggle with him because uh, they all point out that he has the basis for being a good football player. He just can't put it all together, I suppose you could say. He just, one of the things that they point out is just at times there's no hustle. It looks like he just got gassed a lot. It, and it could be that. Um, he wasn't the one who they were talking about. No, that was Kenny Jackson yeah, that they yeah, were talking right. about. He kept he needed to work on his fitness. In but his he, fitness, just, yeah. he just looked like he just didn't have any go in him. And it, it was to the point where I think it was the fifth episode or sixth. No, it was probably fourth or fifth where even Ray Lewis was like, great player. I enjoy playing with him. Nice guy. But he just needs to hustle. Yeah, he actually needs doesn't. to try after his... Suppose like no second effort. So he would go up and try to make a move, like a swim or a rip move. And after the first attempt, he would just stop and just dance with the bloke. Yep. And if you know anything about D-Lyman, the worst thing that we say straight away for anyone starting, don't dance with your opposition. Yep. Get past him yep. and run, hustle, um, which is you know not a great thing for a D-Lyman. It doesn't suggest any real, like, um, I guess, drive. So um, did you have anything to add on... No, poor old Missouri, obviously. He got um, picked up to the the, um, the active 53-man list in the last episode where he got before the first game. He actually got dropped into the practice squad. Um, so the practice squad means that you can basically be picked up by any team if they need a player and they think that you're good. Yep. So the Cowboys picked him up um, round two and picked him up and he played two games for them. Didn't get very many stats. Um, and then, obviously, Dan mentioned about his career after that, moving around. Yeah, he moved around a bit after that. He went to the Berlin Thunder, um, 2002, 2003. He was practice squad for the 49ers. And then after getting cut, I assume, from the practice squad, he then joined um, the Arena Football League, where he played for three different teams from 2003 to 2008. Uh, in the Arena League, he had 82 tackles, 48 assists, 23 sacks. Um, I'm going to be completely honest. I didn't think that sounded great, but I don't. I don't know a lot about arena football. I have I've only ever glanced at episodes of it or have you ever games. have you ever think about the sack count? Like have you look at JPP as a D end as well? He nearly had that many sacks in a season. Yeah. So that, the, in the a sacks career was the you know. Yeah. yeah. And it's a smaller field and there's not as many players. I, I and don't you're know. You're not playing against NFL quality tackles. No. It should be a few more than that. Yeah, you would think there'd be a couple more. Um I did come across an article in the Palm Beach Post of all places, which I thought was weird because he's definitely not from Florida, but he was interviewed and he um, he enjoyed his 15 minutes of fame. He said at one point, I enjoyed the opportunity and I'm thankful for it. I think it kept my name on a lot of people's mouths for a lot longer time than was probably necessary, but I had a blast with it. But he does say that... Uh, having to watch himself on camera vomiting every third play against the Jets in the preseason <laughs> probably wasn't one of the best times. And I'm sure he, he probably gets told that a lot. As for trying to find anything else about him, after the Utah Blaze, who he played for in the arena in 2008, 
there wasn't a lot. And then I found a tweet by McCollum High School in San Antonio in 2015, welcoming him as an assistant coach of the varsity football team. When you go on their website now and look at their coaches, he's not listed as a coach. So I'm not so sure. He didn't have very much effort there either, it looks like. <laughs> it looks like possibly a season. And then, uh, I, I don't know, I, I can't find him after that. I was hoping to find him and maybe reach out to him, but I, you would think a guy named Dwayne Missouri would be easy to find on Facebook, but he's not on Facebook. And he's not on Twitter <laughs> either, so. Well, that's all. I guess Tony the Goose Siragusa may have been actually correct in the opening scene. He could have, well, he was. Seventh pretty, round pick. God. Yeah. Yeah, he was uh, pretty accurate. Kind of accurate. Yeah, he's the oracle. He thinks he's the oracle, but you know, in this he, state, he actually might be right. He definitely thinks he is. Uh, the other player to talk about, uh, Reggie Waddell. What, what do you have on him? Do you have anything there? So basically, Reggie played that very first game against Chicago in 2001, the opening round. Didn't make a tackle. I don't believe he played very many downs. Um, and then he got dropped and never got picked up again. So that's a bit of a sad story because I don't know about you, but I found that he was actually a really likable character. Um, he was a nice young bloke. He tried really hard to obviously get better and to understand the playbooks and things like that. So a bit of a sad story. One of the things that I found painful about it was the fact that, do you remember he was the one that called his parents in the car? And they were so excited. He was so excited. And it's another one of those things, like we said, that makes this getting cut so hard is this was one of those ones where like this guy thought he had made it. He thought this was his life. Like his yep. life had just been set up. Yep. Like he just had set up the rest of his life. His family was so excited for him and he played one game. There's, if he played one game, do you reckon, does he still get a signing bonus? Does he get contracts? I money? presume he would get something, probably minimum of something. I, I, I don't know. The person asked me, Richie, Richie's always good at that sort of stuff. True. We'll, we'll but out him. speaking about the great man, at his bucks, he let me know that the, his favorite part of Hard Knocks is when yeah. players get cut. Yeah, he said that was the most entertaining part. It's his favorite. It's the only reason why I watch it. It's because he's a, you know, he's a bit questionable there about, uh, you know, <laughs> what he likes to watch and that sort of stuff. It's a bit weird, mate. It's a bit weird watching people in pain. Yeah, good job, Rich. <laughs> I did find after he got cut two years later, he joined the Detroit Fury in the Arena Football League. So he was another guy that. Slowly made it back to the, the Arena Football League. I uh, played two years there at Detroit and did 24 tackles and 11 assists, which is not many. As if you're a starting worse. cornerback, that's yeah. really bad. Even if you're a starting special teams player, that's really bad. Yep. So, so. that was about it. I could find on Reggie. Um, there is a Reggie on Facebook who I was kind of sure was him, but I didn't really want to reach out to him. I thought we'd get a couple episodes under our belts, and, and yeah, we'll and see. then we'll be able to show them. What, like, what look what we have. Come what and speak to us, friend. Yeah, and, and maybe we'll make sure there's people we haven't like made fun of or, or anything like that. Like We haven't really made fun of anyone yet. but No, not at all. No. So I think up next we we're going to talk about... Uh, Kenny Jackson, Kenny I think, Jackson, was next, wasn't it? Our, our personal favorite. He was my favorite. He was easily my favorite. Yep. Um, which is really sad. I'll, I wish that his brother got the Corvette. He basically made that promise that if he made the team that he'd buy his brother a Corvette. Yes, yep. Um, and he was, you know, first scene, he's teaching a bunch of kids that are in a special school for de developmental issues and behavioral issues um, how to play basketball, which, look, I thought they already probably would know how to play basketball, but maybe it was just what they kind of put on for the cameras. Yep. But, yeah, so, look, I felt really bad for this poor bloke. Um, so, he got hit, the last scene of the movie, not movie, the last scene of uh, Hard Knocks, he gets cut and they basically say to him, look, you know, you're an amazing athlete and you just got to work some more on your football knowledge and you'll get there one day if you keep working at it. So did you have any information about Kenny? 
I do have information about Kenny. So one of the things that we both complained about is if, if anyone listening knows where you can find a roster of what they start the season off with. Before the training they camp. Cut, yeah, the training camp that was it 70 something people that you start training camp with. I struck that was one of the things we struggled with watching this was trying to figure out who's who because of the fact that I couldn't find a full list of who went to training camp anywhere at all. But I did stumble across one website, sportsforecaster.com, who has some NFL players listed on it and it actually lists where they're transactions also where they changed to go from team to team yeah and and um all these other guys i looked up um dwayne missouri and reggie waddell they weren't on it but kenny jackson was so we got a bit lucky so just quick rundown on uh kenny's career so we both really liked kenny um basically i'll go in 2001 he was released by the ravens then he was immediately oh two months later he was signed by the green bay packers to practice squad he did six months on practice squad before he was cut, so he went um, six months on the the Packers practice squad. It's not bad. So you still then, get paid when you're on the practice squad, don't you? You do, and I'm not sure what it was then, but nowadays it's not too bad. It's probably more than teaching. And I just realized to be it probably is, and I just totally realized that this is American. So he didn't do six months. He did six days on the Green Bay Packers. Ah, all your dates are back to front. Hey, you call yourself American. I know. I, well, I've been here 12 years now, so it's I've You've assimilated. That, I've <laughs> forgotten that's how they write it. So, no, he didn't do six months. He did six days. He went from the 3rd of uh, October to the 9th of October. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little bit worse than what I made out originally. Sorry. Sorry. Poor, Kenny. Old, poor old Kenny. You were a favorite player. I do apologize. Favorite player, but... Really watching those linebacker drills, you're a liability. Good news. 2002, signed as a free agent by the Denver Broncos. Reading the dates correctly, he did eight months at the Denver Broncos on the uh, practice squad. Or did you write those back to front the right way around? Well, unless there's 22 months, he definitely went oh, from, good, good. The, yep. from January to, uh, was the 9th of yeah, <laughs> September. So, um, Well, that's a, that's a very long time on a practice squad. Yeah, it's not bad. You'd be... And probably actually is in practice squad. He probably was signed as a normal player and and rookie listed. Or, yeah, okay. the first the first one. So that's Kenny. Within a month of that, he was signed by the Carolina Panthers to the practice squad, and he actually did a month on the pa- practice squad in two thousand two. There, so that was he did the whole um, basically all of November with Carolina Panthers. Not bad. So he got dropped um, then. So two thousand three. He was uh, signed as a free agent by the Bengals, who quickly sent him to... He was allocated to NFL Europe, but then within five months, he was dropped by the Bengals. I'm not sure when the season was, so I don't. Actually, I should have looked up whether he actually played. I, I didn't find any stats for it, so I don't think he actually played. I don't even know if he made a move over to Europe. That's pretty rough, though, getting... You know, oh, I'm going to come play for you. No, no, I'll go send you over to another continent. It is rough, but that's what it's happens. Wor- it's in- worse than the D-League. Like, it's worse than the basketball D-League. It's kind of like, oh, I'm going to send you overseas away from your whole family and friends and everyone that knows what football is to a culture that's actually freezing You know, in some parts. Half- like, you're from Minnesota, so that doesn't count. Yeah, half of America snows <laughs> in winter. But no. He's, yeah. he's from California. He's yeah, not he used to Los the Angeles. cold. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, he was signed as a free agent the Jaguars, and he did two months, and then that's the last of it. Doing some research into him. One of the things I did want to mention, too, is in the episode when they go to Philadelphia for the practice game that doesn't happen, the preseason game that doesn't happen, he 
is shown going down the to the the, to the train and saying this is my first time ever on a train and then he quickly goes this is my first time to the east coast so i've never i've never been to philadelphia and so it shows him and i don't know who the other guy was who who was the other guy he was with was i thought it was the coach that was actually welcoming him and asking him about his first time in philly what was wasn't it the guy who has to go and get everyone to be cut oh the grim reaper yeah uh what they call him the turk yeah um yeah it might have been him actually but they show him walking around, seeing all the sights, you know, the Liberty Bell and stuff like that. And I thought it was another one of those endearing moments. Basically, looking into it, you know, I've got a bit of info. I just went through that. So he started a Twitter account on the 8th of June, 2010, at hardknocks underscore KJ, his picture. But it was abandoned after two tweets. And it lists a website that unfortunately is gone and was never captured by um, archive.org. But it was apparently a sports blogging website and I thought it was him being upset about it because the website was shameonthegame.com. That sounds indicative of someone that would be a little bit upset and a bit butthurt. That's what I thought, but then I Googled the name and I went and I found a Yahoo Answers thing about, funnily enough, about Kenny and where he went because he's, if you search his name on Twitter, about every two years, someone will be like, what's Kenny Jackson up to? Where is Kenny Jackson? (laughs) It's because he was the likable character. Exactly. So, but that was it I could find from. I couldn't find anything else. I don't know if he's still teaching, what what he's doing. Because obviously he was really, in, you know, enthusiastic about teaching those kids. So you find that he might have moved back home, done some local stuff, maybe even local football stuff. A lot of those guys do, so. Otherwise, what I was thinking he could have done is he could have made a switch to a much less contact sport with Netball. bodybuilding. Oh, he time. looked. He already looked like a bodybuilder. He did already. Look he looked like amazing. Yes. Um, one of the funny things about Kenny Jackson, actually, in this season, I didn't mention it last week, um, was that after he had the Philadelphia tour, like, and he had the game that night, the coach the next day actually said to him, because he was getting so tired during practices, he was actually saying, "Well, how about tonight? You go home and rest, and don't go out and be a tourist." <laughs> and poor old Kenny didn't know what to say. Yeah, no, they did call him off for that. And the, um, before the um, the Giants game, they mentioned that as well. Maybe don't go see New York City. Yeah, maybe don't go out and see all the sights, yeah. buddy. Just just stay in bed, rest, and uh, play the game tomorrow. We're so trying to help you, which is sad because he hadn't been to the West Coast, East Coast. He was from the West Coast. Yes, so maybe he's been there now, but. Um, so I would say he has. He's been to Europe. God. Well, he's, he's, he's a well-traveled man now. He's been on multiple trains. <laughs> Potentially. Like I said, I don't know if he made it over. I don't know if he made the trip. He might have. He just did his first plane. He's first trainer. He can't make his first plane as well. That's true. You don't want to check off too many firsts in one go. You no, don't overload the poor bloke. No. He's trying to learn how to play linebacker in the NFL, Dan. Just chill. <laughs> and then one more from me. Chris Barnes. We didn't actually cover him in the season. He wasn't actually in it. Like I'm sure we saw him. But he was taken in the fifth round that year from New Mexico State. He never made the team. And as far as I can tell, he never played again. Like any football. Like I searched arena. I searched everything. He doesn't even have a name on nfl.com for whatever reason i don't know how a guy gets taken in the fifth round but never ever plays again i thought that was kind of yeah but dwayne missouri could take it in the seventh round he's got a name and a face and that's what i mean yeah it doesn't make any sense but the funny thing that i did find is i found on ebay a copy of his 2001 rookie trading card so they made a trading card for this guy. You can have it if you want to buy it. I want it. it. Yep, definitely. It's a dollar eighty-three US. 
I was had my card out ready to buy it, and then I saw it was twenty five dollars U.S. shipping. I'm like, it's a card. Put it in an envelope. I don't care. It doesn't need to be <laughs> mint condition. It's a guy that never played. Dan, it's it's an investment for your kids, for future kids' future. It could be an investment. You never know. So I went deep looking for this guy, trying to find him. So luckily, the trading card had his birth date on it. So I searched his birth date. I searched variations of Chris Barnes, Christopher Barnes. I can tell you one thing. Christopher Barnes, uh, who lives in Lake Mary, Florida, and also went to New Mexico State and works at ASRC Federal in Lake Mary, Florida. Yep. Is not the same Chris Barnes. <laughs> so look, lucky that if you know if you don't, if your current job doesn't work out, Dan, you could do really well as a professional stalker. I I could. Or you know, probably you know, a PI would probably be better. But I reckon stalking's your thing. You've done really well. How many rabbit holes did you fall down googling all that stuff? Uh, a little bit, and I actually did find a fantasy website from two thousand one that talked about him, but it just had a quick. Deep, deep sleeper. Chris Barnes has been dropped. And then it literally said, fifth round draft pick, Chris Barnes has looked terrible all camp, so this should not come as much of a surprise. This also is an indirect compliment for Jason Brookins, who along with Terry Allen looked to carry the running back load for the Ravens this year. I should have written down... Brookins would have been a deep sleeper looking at his stats. I should have written down who this guy was and seen if he still has that web. That website was definitely not updated since 2001. I was surprised it's still live. Obviously lost his fantasy league and never blogged again. But I thought that was spot on analysis when we, which we just spoke about before. He was spot on. So uh, that's it for me for a moment. Wonderful. So I'm going to jump over to, how about we start with Ray Lewis. So, Ray Lewis, for those that don't know, um, he's obviously the middle linebacker that played at the Baltimore Ravens. And when he was in focus in 2001 Ravens, he was in his sixth year. He'd just come off the back of an MVP from the Super Bowl and then played for 17 years at the Ravens until he retired his last year at the Ravens. or They just beat the 49ers. Yep. in a Super Bowl once again. So he finished his career on a Super Bowl win. Now, obviously, his career was prolific. So he basically, in 2000 and 2003, he was the league-named Defensive Player of the Year. Um, he was just the sixth player in history to ever win the award multiple times. Um, in addition to that, he had earned 13 trips to the Pro Bowl uh, and was named in the NFL's All-Decades 2000s team. So basically, he was just like he was a spiritual leader of the entire club well into his 30s. Um, he was the, actually he was the defensive captain from I think it was his like fifth year. And that's when he started doing all of his rants and his jumping yep. dumps and downs and um, and all of those things. So look, by the end of 2012, his season, his game had started to slow down. His, his stats started to decrease a little bit. Um, he got a tr- massive triceps injury. He wasn't able to dominate as much as he once was. Like People used to laugh because he looked like a robot because he had all those... Um, the casts and the braces and stuff on his arm. Yep. And you didn't think he really had it anymore. But look, he would used to, he'd come out randomly and he'd, he's someone that you'd be concerned about. Um, and so he, used to, he still dominated, in my opinion. Now, look, basically, um, that, so that's his playing career. Like, he played amazingly for uh, the whole time he was there. He was the linchpin of all of Baltimore's success during that period of time. Um, now, there was some off-field issues with Ray Lewis, which a lot of people listening probably already know a little bit about. Yep. So for those that don't, obviously, 
obviously there's a lot of hearsay. So what is actually written on his bio um, and is obviously being reported by by the local news stations are that um, he was connected with a double murder outside an Atlanta nightclub in the early morning hours of January 31st, 2000. Now that's the end, that's the night of the Super Bowl that they won in 2000. Um, so he actually attended the nightclub late after the Super Bowl with a group of friends. The actual story hasn't ever been told to public. So what is known by some of the media outlets is that a fight broke out during that night with Lewis's entourage that left two young men actually dead. So he was fingered in the tragedy. So they basically pointed a finger at him saying that he was one of the instigators. And then he was jailed for 11 days and he was indicted with two others in the murders or yep. indicted if you J.A. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the onset of the um, investigation, basically, Lewis lied to police and said he didn't know his two um, co-defendants. So he basically said... So basically, a lot of people said that Lewis had something to hide and um, key evidence, including a blood-stained white T-shirt and a suit that might have linked him to the deaths. They were never recovered. I think they were supposedly thrown into an incinerator accidentally. So basically, at the, in the end of, at the end of the day, Lewis struck a plea bargain. So in return of in, in return for having the murder and av- aggravated assault charges dropped, he actually had to testify against his two friends, which he did. But look, both of them were eventually acquitted, so there was nothing that came of that. But then he was actually sentenced himself to a year of probation. After that, in 2001 season, he was told, like, you know, bad luck, mate. Just because you got away from the law, the NFL have actually fined him $250,000. Um, so they said that obviously this is really serious. We don't care that you, because of no evidence, you didn't get off. They actually fined him pretty badly. Didn't get any suspension though. Now, he was being interviewed a few times about it since and he really, really is cagey about it. He just palms it off. He said basically, you know, he, he refers back to God and easing the pain of anyone affected by the whole ordeal. And so he said, I put myself in that situation. So that's really my fault, but doesn't actually say any details about it. Now, that was probably the main thing about Lewis's off-field stuff. And there's something random as well that I mentioned just before that in 2013, he faced accusations about using deer antler. So deer antler is a controversial dietary supplement banned by the NFL because supposedly it has high concentrations of insulin-like growth factor. So much like the human growth hormone, it promotes faster recovery throughout the body. So he actually had not just the off-field things with the um, convicted murders and those things as well. Then he also had like a like a supplement saga as well in in, in zone, which is obviously went a little bit better than the Essendon supplement saga. So which is nice to know. It's a Um, little bit differently looked upon in the NFL as opposed to the AFL. A little bit different. Uh, And so that's Ray Lewis. He's an out and out football superstar, and obviously things happened off-field, which made him. Uh, less ideal when it came to looking at him as a role model. Can can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. Um, are you implying that you don't incinerate all your clothes randomly? I especially do when they get any type of red wines built on them. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I was just Which, as you sure. know me, it's pretty often. So that's yeah. why I'm left with just this loincloth that I'm wearing in the studio. <laughs> well, you got boots on. I'm I'm literally wearing slippers right now. You and really little shorts. Oh, they just they they hike up a little bit. Yeah, I'm like, sure yeah, I'm sure yeah, they do. Yeah. No no judgment. <laughs> um yeah, no, it's yeah, definitely cold in here. Now, the next person I'm going to talk about is someone that Dan didn't even know. So, we've been watch we've watched five episodes of Hard Knocks Ravens. If anyone asks you about the Ravens, you typically question straight away. You go, "Look, Ray Lewis is in the Ravens." And your second person you'll probably associate with the Ravens would be Rod Woodson. To be fair, I didn't recognize him. 
<laughs> to be fair. Plus, this is he was pretty well in focus throughout a lot of the uh, season. But poor old Dan didn't really know who he was. Um, and so, look, to be honest, Rod Woodson is an out-and-out superstar. He played 17 years, which is a long, long time in the NFL. So he basically played for the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1987, where he was a number 10 overall pick. Then he played there until 1996. So even then, he'd already played for nine years. Um, he had he went to the Pro Bowl 11 times, six, six times, first time All-Pro, second team All-Pro twice, um, NFL Defensive Player of the Year in 1993, AFC Player of the Year in 1993, two NFL interceptions, leader in 99 and 2002. Uh, he got into the 75th anniversary all-time team, team, the 1990s all-decade team, one of the good stats about it, he actually holds the NFL record for interceptions for return touchdowns at 12, um, which is pretty cool. He has 71 career interceptions, which is the third most in NFL history, and he was inducted into the class of 2009 for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, and then he was also inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 2016. So I don't really know why the college one was later than the Pro. I don't understand any of the way that sort of thing works. So, but look, he was mainly a cornerback through his entire career. His last couple of years, he then switched to safety. So I think that he obviously lost a little bit of his speed. Yeah. And he was able to use a lot more of his smarts, which obviously is the difference in those positions at times. So he moved from the Steelers to the, uh, to the, 49ers in 1997, played there for one year where he moved to the Baltimore Ravens from 1998 to 2001, which was inclusive of their championship and the hard knock season. And then where then at the end of 2001, he was traded over to Oakland Raiders for two years. At the end of 2003, he actually didn't pass his physical. Yeah, yeah, I saw that, yeah. Um, so going into the 2004 season, he didn't pass his physical and instead of actually obviously trying to try out again, he actually moved into coaching. So basically Rod Woodson was one of the Oakland Raiders cornerback coaches and assessed a then assistant defensive backs coach and then cornerbacks coach again. And that's from 2011, basically, to 2017, where he just this end of this year, 2017 season, he got dropped, basically, when um, Gruden got hired. Yep. So they didn't want him anymore, um, which is, look... So he's had an amazing career. He This bloke is probably one of the most iconic blokes in football when it comes to cornerbacks, which I know a lot more about now because of the hard knock seasons. <laughs> and the fact that he's played there for so long at such a high level is just an amazing stat for him. So, look, that's Rod Woodson. He's, there's two Hall of Famers on the season. There's um, Shannon Sharp as a Hall of Famer and there's Rod Woodson. So you get to actually see two amazing Hall of Famers back when they're not the height of their career, um, more in the twilight years of their career, but it's still amazing to watch and see their preparations and what they do. You know, seeing Shannon Sharp rock up, he's the first bloke in the gym every single day. Yep. Um, Rod Woodson basically says, oh, I don't read a playbook. I don't need to do that. I know the, I know the defense back to front. Um, bit of a difference compared to the rookies. So that's Rod Woodson. So on to the coaches. I guess that puts us to it, doesn't it? Yeah, I'll just, um, just because my notes were a little out of order. Um, just while I was taking a deep dive on people, I should have mentioned before. So Terry Allen uh, had that issue with the car. He now runs a trucking company in Commerce, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> not many Ferraris there or not many palm trees. Probably it was a peach tree and peach uh, probably not a lot. Um, one other thing is he attended Clemson to finish his degree. He's one of those guys who said, I'm going to go back and finish my degree. Um, the article I found was from 2017. He was hoping to graduate in May 2017, but I can't confirm whether he did or didn't. So that's Terry Allen. 
Yep. And he said he was going back to finish his degree that he studied when he was in college. Which would have been like... 89 or something? Uh, Early 90s. Early 90s. Yeah. He went to Clemson. And and in that article, I found out that the NFL has a trust for players that want to go back. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So they can get up to like $20,000 a year to cover if you have $20,000 of expenses um, if you don't finish your degree for having left early. So I thought that was kind of cool. That, um, that's actually quite quite cool. I yeah. wonder what, what the course was. Uh, it was a business degree. Business degree, Because okay. he was hoping it would help him with his trucking company. Yeah, yeah. And also he's a running back, so trucking's pretty entertaining. Is that what he got into? So that's pretty cool. He, he could have started a trucking company and Brookins could have started a uh, bulldozer. Bulldozer. <laughs> they could have been mates. You never know. They could have been a construction company together with trucks and bulldozers. They could have been. Yeah, so all, all the amazing pieces of information we come out with, hey? So we'll just kind of kind of quickly go through coaches. Um, I'll just go through. Basically, what I thought would be interesting was every coach on this year's staff that has since become a head coach, which you've seen the list. It's actually quite larger than you would think it would be. Um, That's why we recognize so many of those bloody coaches during hard knocks. Yeah. So my second one, I'll, 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 you'll definitely, I'm sure everybody recognized. Obviously, uh, just quick one about Brian Billick. So he was coached uh, for the Ravens from uh, 99 to 2007 uh, as head coach. His final record there was 80 uh, wins, 64 losses, and then obviously the 2000 Super Bowl win. So that's pretty good. Of the head coaches, that's one of the better records. He had a positive um, postseason record too, didn't he? Yeah, because 2000 just helped him out. Was it five and the, three or something like that. I'm pretty sure it was five and three. Yeah, four, four, four wins in that 2000, and then one other win and three losses. I think it was. Up next, I'm sure the second anybody saw him, they went, oh. That's young Rex Ryan. Younger Rex Ryan, I should say. He just looked... He didn't actually look that much younger. He just looked a bit skinnier. He did look a little skinnier, so I didn't recognize him completely. I thought it might have been his brother, Rob. Yeah. His <laughs> evil twin brother. His evil twin brother. <laughs> his hair wasn't long enough, so it no. must have been Rex. And actually, come to the, I should correct myself. Rex is now skinny, but yes. he, he went through a stage where he wasn't skinny. During the Jets hard knocks, he, yeah. I don't think he was overly skinny. No. He was there at Baltimore from uh, 99 to 2008. He would then go on to coach the Jets and the Bills, as we know. His coaching record overall as a head coach was 61-66. So, you know, just short of 50. I um, personally really, I really like Rex Ryan. I don't have anything against him. My favorite fact to throw out about him is that he has a foot fetish. Literally. So where, where, where do we find this information? Uh, someone was it on a certain colored tube, was it? It was actually on YouTube. Someone found videos of his wife's feet on YouTube with him filming. Anyway, you can look up the... I think it was on Deadspin. You can look it up if you want. Um, not, not meat spin. Don't mix, <laughs> don't mix it up with that. <laughs> Definitely not meat spin. Uh, so next we had uh, Jack Del Rio. So he's head coach at the Jaguars from 2003 to 2011. And then he was at Oakland from 2015 to 2017. His final coaching record was 93-94. Unless I mention it, nobody won a Super Bowl, by the way. So <laughs> he didn't win a Super Bowl. Uh, what did you think, though? During Hard Knocks, I thought he was a jackass. I, he wasn't very nice. No. And, and not in like a, I'm going to beat you down to build you up kind of way he was just not nice I just, like, I there's think a it was difference between positive criticism and just criticism yeah it was actually just criticism yeah constructive criticism versus just being super negative and kind of being a douche there's there's, yeah. there's definitely a difference but look it could also be that reality tv show you know idea of only seeing the negative aspects because it happens to be talking to a player who did get cut yep 
So he might have been positive and stuff like that with other members of the team. But anyway, go on. I'll skip one. Just oh, I'll do him last. So Mike Smith then went on to coach uh, the Atlanta Falcons from 2008 to 2014. There he had a final record of 66-46, uh, which is pretty good. That's a real that, good that's, positive record. That's a good record. Um, in that time, you know, a couple uh, postseason appearances, and there were some good teams in that in that era. And then uh, we had Mike Nolan. Uh, he went on to be head coach of the 49ers from 2005 to 2008. His coaching record there was 18 and 37. Not great. Not ideal. Mike Nolan, you might recognize the name because he was the son of Dick Nolan, who was a head coach also of the 49ers in the late 60s, early 70s. And then he coached the Saints for two years in the late 70s. Mike Nolan and Jack Del Rio actually both got special permission in 2006 to wear suits on the sidelines. Really? Because uh, obviously back in the day, the coaches used to wear suits. And now <laughs> they've got these apparel contracts where... The, the, they wear like, jumpsuits or like parachute pants and stuff that have their apparel. Yep. They basically, over. you know, they have to wear whatever a fan can buy so that if you wanted to go home and dress up like bill belichick you could buy a patriots jumper and cut the sleeves off and all those sorts of things but anyway so he got special permission um him and jack del rio did to, to wear um suits on the sidelines for a couple games um obviously with his limited record there he didn't wear a lot no and then finally uh we had marvin lewis um i wanted to do him last because oh, cause, yeah he's got a lot of information i love marvin lewis yeah so he was a uh, head coach has been head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals since 2003. Like, just massive run. It's it's pretty great to have a team stand behind you that much, especially when, like, the Bengals have been, you know, they've had good years and then have bad years. And I reckon they've had probably more bad years than good. And I would He would be someone agree. this year, and I thought, I said this last year, he would be someone that I thought was on the chopping block. But they just keep, and they just keep signing him on. To stand behind him. I he mean, obviously he has a great relationship with back office. Yep. He does have a positive record there so 125 wins 112 losses and three ties one of the things that i liked so you know they have these they're called coaching trees and the kind of branch is you see where these coaches go and one of the one of the interesting things is that marvin lewis is under his coaching tree right now are four other head coaches so under him he had uh hugh jackson obviously head coach of the browns uh jay gruden worked under him and so now he's at the redskins uh mike zimmer head coach of the Vikings, and then Vance Joseph over at the Broncos. So, you know, these, I'd love to see, I'm sure I could probably find one in this graphic. So it'd be interesting all of them to standing see, together. <laughs> see, see, like, uh, the branches of all these, like, how the coaches kind of intermingle, because it's kind of a limited issue um, industry, and uh, they kind of intermingle with one another. And obviously, guys go back to college or go coach high school or whatever and come and go, but... You know, it's kind of interesting that some guys, you know, have these branches going out everywhere. I think it's interesting also that we're going to see those blokes you just named when we review the Bengals hard knocks because they're on two hard knocks. Marvin Lewis put his hand up for two hard knocks. Yep. And you get this, you're going to see these guys again. So we're going to come into more in-depth view, obviously, when we come into it. But um, keep that in mind for future episodes is that actually, you know, Marvin Lewis has really grown a lot of the head coaches that are in the league now. Yep. Between him and Brian Billick, they're basically responsible for all the head coaches that we've got. <laughs> According to that list, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I guess after that, I've got a couple of random facts about right. some about some of the things we saw. So you do love facts. So Brian Billick in episode one mentions about his he's laughing at all the different technology that all the blokes bring in, all these cassette tapes and playstations, um, and TVs and DVD recorders. 
um, which is which, really quite funny. Which is funny. And um, also just one of the things I enjoy about the later seasons of Hard Knocks is how they always come with brand new big screen TVs to training camp. <laughs> they, they always bring like a big 40 inch or, or bigger TV for training. They're there for four weeks. Like, yeah. <laughs> what, you need to have a 52 inch at a lot LCD, of, at a lot like, of times, there's two blokes in a room, so there are two 50-inch yeah, yeah. LCDs in each room yeah. sitting there at all times, which is, yeah, it's great. Yeah, so but Brian Billick is obviously, he laughs about technology. He doesn't seem like he's all on top of it. Some of my in-depth research, I actually went and had a look at a lot of these guys' social profiles in yeah. Twitter specifically. So I looked at Shannon Sharp's profile. So obviously, he's a, he's a large public figure at the moment. He only has about, you know, 400, 500 tweets. You know, he doesn't have as many followers as you'd expect. And then Rod, even Rod Woodson has a active Twitter account. He has a 700 tweets, which I thought was heaps. 700 tweets, um, a whole bunch of followers. He follows about a thousand people. Then let's get to Brian Billick, the coach. He's a bit older now. He's against technology. Brian Billick has 4,700 tweets. That's a lot of tweets. I wonder how many times he's actually just tweeted about, you know, burning his toast, having cold feet, um, ironing his shirt wrong. When when did he open his account? Did you take a look? I didn't actually take a look. That'd be interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna quick look while you you keep going. But he's one of those. It seems like one of those guys that he actually uses Twitter as one of his actual like conversations domain. Like he he comments on anyone that speaks about the NFL. He actually comments on them and retweets yep. it and actually um you know has starts a dialogue with so many people. I think that he would be a great bloke to sit over and have a beer with. To be honest, um, my next random fact. Oh, should I say my last random fact is um, having a look at the helmets, the NFL helmets that they were using during Hard Knocks. So this is in 2001. You might have seen like the goose wearing the the big the big Rydell that had the single bar down the front. Now yep. that single bar got banned in 2003 because it wasn't wasn't protective enough. Um, now in 2002, the American football equipment manufacturer Rydell released a new design helmet called the Revolution. A lot of blokes in football would have heard about the Revolution. Um, now this is because this is in a direct response to an intensive study on concussions, so CTE in football, um, and where basically they started bringing in fill air filled bladders, yep. which is a new thing in helmets basically. And they've all since then all the models of all the helmets all changed. As of two thousand and four, no one could actually wear one of those single barred front face mask helmets yep. um, except for the grandfather rule because of the actual the danger and the lack of impact um, absorption so I thought that was interesting being a bloke that has had multiple concussions playing football myself that imagine if I was wearing one of those concussion boxes back in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s I'd be dead um, so I thought that was interesting actually that all the blokes we were watching most of them may have actually had future issues when it came to CTA look that's my last obviously random fact otherwise all the other blokes social profiles were pretty basic I was hoping that I'll find something juicy find that they were following some random people that I might find interesting but no pretty basic things just talking about football and the NBA finals that just went by yep well, so he started in March 2011 that's average, a lot of tweets on average about twice a day how many tweets have you done? Probably less than that, but probably close to Sh- Shannon Sharp. And cause, but the, the key is I have 82 followers, of which maybe seven are real. The rest are, you know, I get followed by, I'm an influencer, follow me for a free book or something like that. Well, I get heaps of random Russian women that oh, just man. want you me sh- to bring them out to Australia. My Instagram is just constant. I could have relations with so many people my, my wife would get very <laughs> upset but all i have to do is go to these weird google websites and you can i can 
meet up with these girls. Well, that's it. Like, you know, like Cindy from Moorbark wants to chat to me. It's, it keeps coming up in the corner of my screen. <laughs> Makes my computer faster, supposedly. Well, there's, there's lots of hot singles in our area. <laughs> We'll have to end up plugging all these things later. Um, but yeah, so like I found that obviously it wasn't as interesting. Like I obviously looking at some of the younger lads being a bit more prolific on the Twitter streams and a bit more fun and showing Fortnite. I'll let you know that I'll have a look. Brian Billick doesn't play Fortnite that it looks like because otherwise he would definitely tweet about it. Shoot. Well, yeah, so we'll, not inviting him for squads, Dan. No, we won't invite him for squads. But uh, I think we'll uh, leave it at that. That's the Baltimore Ravens 2001 Hard Knock season. Yeah, so sign in to next week where we'll be looking at the 2002 Dallas Cowboys. Yes, the 2002 Dallas Cowboys. And hopefully it's a little bit more cohesive than this one was. But, but I haven't seen it and I don't remember. So we'll, um, we'll guess we'll find out, won't we? We will. Uh, so follow me on uh, Twitter because I only have a couple of real followers um, at the Dan Stewart and uh, Dage. And you can follow me at Dage Loves Port. Dage Loves Port. What do you got for us, Dage? Get hard, stay hard, my friends.